Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuckineers? What the fuck buddies? Those seem to be the three that I have been locking in on. Welcome to the show. It is April Fool's Day. It is my brother's birthday. Happy birthday, Craig Marin. Uh, you are, how old are you, man? God, are you 45? I think you're 45. Well, happy birthday. Hold on. <laughs> Jesus. Nobody? God bless you. Gesundheit, nothing. Sorry, I got a little cold or I'm fighting something. I'm fighting the good fight against the bacteria and viruses in my body at this point in time. Can you hear the struggle? Do you hear the protest? Let's get this out of the way early on because I shouldn't really be drinking it, but... Uh, Pow! Oh, man, I just shit my pants again. JustCoffee.coop. You can get that at WTFPod.com. Good stuff. You know it is. Go for it. Where are we at today? Great guest today from Mr. Show, from the Ben Stiller Show, from his uh, writing on Saturday Night Live, from movies he's directed, like uh, the Brother Solomon, Let's Go to Prison. Bob Odenkirk will be in the garage today. I'm looking forward to to talking to him because he's a guy that I've known a long time that I have not uh, spent a lot of time talking to, like many of the people on this show. Uh, I've always respected Bob. He's a difficult man to talk to, so I'm a little apprehensive and a little excited to uh, to get into it with Mr. Odenkirk, see what we can uh, learn and find out. I know a lot of you people are fans of him. I don't know everything he's done. I know some of you are sitting there after I read those credits, either going, uh, what about, what about, what about? I don't know. I'm not a comedy nerd. I'm just a comedian with some friends I have. And some of you are saying, who's Bob Odenkirk? Well, you'll learn. But I want to talk to Bob about some stuff, about uh, about working, about dreams, about work ethic. You know, there's a lot of people out there that think they're going to make it. They're going to make it as an artist. They're going to make it in show business. They're going to make it once they get that thing done. As soon as I do that thing, as soon as I write that book, as soon as I write that screenplay, as soon as I shoot that movie, as soon as I get up on stage and sing that song, I'm going to do it. It's all going to turn around as soon as, you know, sometimes we keep this stuff in our heads. We don't manifest it at all because we like to hold on to the fantasy because if it's a fantasy, we are buttressed against failure. But also, we are buttressed against success. And I tell you, you know, that one-shot thing, I'd like to talk to Bob about that, about Hollywood, and perhaps I will. The whole idea that, like, hey, I'm going to write this one thing, I'm going to go to Hollywood, I'm going to, and I'm going to, they're going to open up the gates to the great success in show business that I, that I'm entitled to, I think is a myth. And I think it's guys like Bob, uh, you know, because, I mean, Bob works. I You look at his IMDb page, and it's like, uh, you know, two two days long. I mean, I could say that in pages, but, you know, why not make it days? I can fucking do whatever I want. I mean, it's not like I don't work. I mean, look, I got I got a couple of residual checks just today or yesterday. It was yesterday. I got a residual check uh, for forty five dollars. And this is many years later. This is about what I get. Occasionally, I get anywhere from eighteen dollars to forty five dollars for like five different showings on yeah, either regular TV or whatever, but that's not nothing. That's a nice dinner, maybe a movie. And then I got, a res- but can you imagine the checks Bob gets? I'm not jealous, but just from all the SNL and everything else and the movies, whatever. I, I'm not, I'm not envious. But here's another check. This is a dirty little secret. I got a check for three dollars and thirty eight cents. You want to know why I got that check? I'll tell you why. That check is for the Mighty Ducks two. 
That's right, folks. The Mighty Ducks 2, which I got cut out of. I was to play, as you know, in Mighty, in uh, Almost Famous, I played the Angry Promoter. What you don't know is in the Mighty Ducks 2, I played the Angry Valet. This must be 1980. I don't even know what year it was. Wow. I have no idea. Here's what happened. My buddy Steve directed and wrote that one, I think. Yeah, Steve Brill. We wrote together in college and uh, and performed together. He's gone on to do other things, but that's neither here nor there. So he gives me a little part in the movie. I'm playing a valet, uh, which is uh, what happens is the Mighty Ducks are wandering through Beverly Hills or wandering down Rodeo Drive, and they keep getting turned away at stores, the Ducks. And I play this valet who's out in front of a business parking cars. And I'm sitting in my trailer. I got my valet jacket on. I'm sweating. I used to have a real perspiration problem. Thank God that's gone. Jesus, I don't even know what the hell caused that. I was one. It was so embarrassing to me, that whole perspiration problem. I, I used to have pit stains in seventh grade. Horrendous. And I could never get rid of them. And I used to try all these different deodorants. I was thinking about getting surgery. It was just so embarrassing. And it lasted throughout most of my life, and now it just doesn't happen anymore. I guess getting older is better. I don't sweat in my armpits as much. Whatever. So I'm sitting there getting pit stains in the trailer, wearing my valet outfit, trying to get prepared for these two fucking lines that I have. And then there's my scene. And it's not a big scene. It's literally like, you know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds. You know, but they got to roll cars through, and the, the ducks have to approach me. And basically, the deal is the ducks come up to me, and one of them says... You know, how do you get into these stores? How come we can't get in? I don't remember. And my line is like, you have to know someone to get in anywhere in this town. You know, like bitter showbiz valet guy. So they do the scene and, and I do the line and I screw it up. And I actually stopped the scene once. And this is where they got to get a bunch of extras moving and they got to get cars rolling. And I stopped the scene twice. And Steve's like, you know, listen, you can't. You know, I say cut. It's costing a lot of money per scene. So then I do it again, and you know I go, you got to know somebody to get in anywhere in this town, and I lunge you a little, you know, when I'm you know, you know in their face. And Steve's like, could you try it a, a little one more time, Just tone it down a little bit. So then they come up like, how do we get into any stores? I'm like, you got to know somebody to get in anywhere. You got to get, you got to know someone to get into any place in this town. And then he cuts again. He comes up to me, he goes, listen, Mark, uh, you you got to tone it down. You're scaring the ducks scaring the ducks. And that's why I ended up on the cutting room floor because I scared the ducks, the mighty ducks at that. I do know one thing that I seem to be obsessed with work-related things. And let me get specific here. I don't know why, but I can sit down with a Uline catalog for a half an hour and be completely compelled Uline, U-L-I-N-E. I'm not even plugging for them because it's office supplies for fuck's sake. But what is it about this catalog that I can be completely engaged in? I, I It happens with catalogs. I don't know if anyone else is, is like this or this is something that you can relate to. I get the L.L. Bean catalog. Now, some catalogs I don't even bother with. Uh, you know, like uh, uh, J. Crew, nothing. Anthropology, maybe a quick flip. Uh, I get flower catalogs for some reason because I think I sent my mother flowers once. I don't, I don't do those. But LL Bean comes, and I'll have them around for a while. And I've actually bought stuff from LL Bean. Am I an LL Bean guy? No. 
Do why should is that clothing necessarily very good? No, but I'll sit and look at that stuff and I'll try to bend it into cool in my brain. And there is nothing more cool proof than LL Bean merchandise. But there's something about I don't know the authenticity of it, the uh, basicness of it, the you know guys fishing. I don't fish. I what am I aspiring to? But I've bought jackets thinking like I can make that cool, and then they get here and I can't make it cool no matter what. It's not even a matter I'm that hung up with cool, but it's more about I can own this. You know, maybe this clothing is boring enough that if I put it on, it'll become uniquely mine. But actually, LL Bean has the power within its product to make you boring, cool proof. L.L. Bean is. I have bought some sheets, some flannel sheets from there and some towels just because it's easy. I've got to do some of that stuff. Stuff stuff is starting to break down. I don't know. Maybe I maybe when I was married, I forgot about a lot of this stuff. I know, I, I'm starting to realize that, you know, left to my own devices, I'll be living in a large nest of sorts. Uh, I, I got to replace the towels. You got to do so. Let's get back to the Uline catalog. What is it about this? I mean, God damn it. I can look at this thing for hours. Let's just flip to any page. All right. Custom printed tags. Even this is great. I can get a an inspection tag. I can get a red tag that says rejected. And it's got the job number, the part number. I would just put my name in all those. Job number, Mark Marin. Part number, Mark Marin. Serial number, my birthday. Part name, comedian. Number of pieces rejected, all of them. Reason, not for everybody. See, why can't I get some of those? Oh, look at this. Machinery tags. Do not operate. And then it's got in Spanish. That that should be a T-shirt. All right, let's flip to another page. Now we know why I like that page. How about this? Recycling containers. Look at these big, beautiful blue recycling containers, some with two holes on top for separating things. Why do I even find that compelling? What is it in this fucking catalog that I like looking at? It's new, big stuff. I don't have this much recycling, but I'd sort of like to have the one with the hole on top. Uh, Maybe it'd make my life feel more efficient. I don't know. Hold on, another page. Um, Flat merchandise bags. Boring. But nonetheless, they have some nice colors. Uh, Oh, here we go. How about this? Lab coats. Lab coats? I could use a lab coat. Why not? Polypropylene clothing, cotton lab coat. I should be doing this in a lab coat. And right under it, hard hats. Are you kidding me? They have red hard hats, blue hard hats, lime green hard hats. Pink hard hats? I don't know if that's a big seller. Maybe, maybe as a costume item. I don't know. A pink hard hat? Safety apparel. They have crossing guard vests. That might just be a practical investment for the future. What else is in here? Earplugs? Eh. Respirators? Okay. Warehouse gloves. Look at all these gloves. Ironclad gloves. I could be doing this show wearing a lab coat, ironclad gloves, and a pink hard hat. That would be ridiculous and hilarious. Coated gloves. Eh. So, oh, safety knives. Look at this. Conveyors, expandable and portable. These are those rolling things that you roll things down like boxes with the rollers on them. And this is one that you can have at home, I guess, if you want to roll things through the house right out the back into your new recycling bin. See, I'm getting the feeling that a lot of this stuff may not be for the home. Obviously, maybe I have workplace envy. Maybe secretly I have a fantasy to where I'm just a guy working in a place that has a conveyor belt. And oh, they have the the big plastic wrap work platforms. These are like aluminum steps up to a thing. Oh, I could get one of these to have the steps 
up to just that just to have the steps just to have them like an art piece just out there on my deck to nowhere steps to nowhere and maybe people go hey dude what's with the steps and i could say that that's an unanswered question there are things that we don't know and sometimes i'll just walk up those steps and take a moment and acknowledge that there's so much so much we don't know that's what that means it's art and i wouldn't even have to put any effort into it bin organizers Man, if I had a lot of screws and nails, that would be perfect. Maybe I should buy screws and nails and have those in there. Oh, hot cups. Oh, this is the office container. You know, I literally, look at this, a janitorial bucket, like the big yellow bucket with the mop squeezer. Caution, wet floor signs. Gojo foaming push dispenser for the foamy foam soap. Fuck that. I don't even like that stuff. That just ruined my high. That just ruined my fucking high. The foamy dispenser. Because it reminds me, since I've been traveling a lot, is the airports. Airports with those sinks that have sensors in them never get it right. I, it literally becomes a farce. I get the foam on my hands, which I don't like because it's like, was this? did someone already lather this in their hands and put it in the container? Obviously, that's not the point. But I'm, I'm a grown man. I can do my own lathering of my hands. You have to pre-lather the fucking soap. What the fuck? And then those sensors, they never work, so I'm going back and forth and back and forth, and it's like a goddamn Charlie Chaplin movie, and the guy next to me, no problem, he gets it, he gets the sink sensor, and then I got to deal with the fucking hand dryer, hold on, I'm, I'm spiraling, I'm spiraling, hold, look at, automatic towel dispenser, see, that's what should be in the bathrooms, you know how I feel about hand dryers, I'm going to buy a uh, stepladder to nowhere, a recycling bin with holes on the top just because I like it, a conveyor belt to move myself perhaps through my house on rollers. I'm going to get a lab coat, a pink hard hat, and some some big heavy-duty iron work gloves and an automatic towel dispenser to bring with me on the road for when I go to the bathroom in airports. Wait, I got it. How clear does it have to be, man? This is like, it's almost like a Bible, the Uline catalog. I mean, it is the fantasy or the hope of being organized, of finally having everything in its place, of everything in its proper place, everything making sense, everything under control. That's what it is. If I had everything in here, I would have everything under control or I would have to manage an awful lot of shit I didn't need. But that is what it is. That is the hope. It is the hope of ultimate organization. I could just be sitting out here in my pink hard hat and my lab coat with my iron studded work gloves after just having rolled through my house on a conveyor. And as I rolled into the garage, thrown a couple of plastic bottles or cardboard boxes into the holes of my new recycle bin, almost like a like a three-point shot and come out here to the garage knowing that everything is organized and under control. Uline, just the catalog, gives me hope for order. Get on the mic, buddy. Beautiful. Now I'm on. Now you're there. All right. 
That uh, long, Bob Odenkirk is in the uh, garage here at the Cat Ranch. It's uh, it, it took some doing, but uh, he's here. <laughs> well, now, you know, it's like one of those things where you're busy. Then there's time. And yeah, you go, I know. Like, Let's just do it. I, I'll come right over. That's the way to go. But today's a great day because uh, I have a lot of stuff coming up in the next two weeks, and I just sort of finished a draft of a pilot that I wrote yesterday. Really? I just finished it. So that's a great feeling, and you know that great feeling. It lasts for about seven hours yeah. <laughs> <laughs> after months of and work. And then you rethink it. And then you feel terrible. Yeah, and then you It went. actually lasted like an hour. I met you, I think, really the first time we ever really met was at the Aspen Comedy Festival, probably 1995, uh-huh. when you were doing uh, what became Mr. Show. Is oh, that right. possible? Yes, yes, yes. I, I that d- would have been... Uh, Right around 1995, yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah, I remember yeah. at the time we were there, and it was you and Dave and John Ennis and somebody else. There was four of you, right? Probably Mary Lynn was probably part of that. And Jay, maybe. Right. Well, I just remember that the performing situation was maybe the we first We were in a bar. Second. We were in a country and western bar. Right, in a pit. Like a pit. What, It was like, uh, but literally a pit. Was it like yeah. a dance floor? Because yeah. I remember when I met you, you were like, oh, Christ. I mean, how are we going to... Yeah, it was so hard. And then we just set up chairs on the dance floor, and we made a little... There was like a a door for a stage, so you walked through the door to be on stage. Right. And uh, we probably had a screen up because we had video, you know? Yeah. And it was very much like Mr. Show, rough, but the same kind of thing where you come out and say hi, and then we go into a scene, it goes into a video, goes into us live, go back into a video, and uh, and, um, the the front row... Because it was the first year of the Aspen Comedy it, was, it was the first year. Right. So if people don't understand, when you do these festivals, when they start, they they just, they just do shows in wherever they can in the town. Right. You know, well, could, I think that's got it. The, the, the whole phenomenon of the Aspen Comedy Festival, we can now just lay it on the line because the thing is over, finally. <laughs> what a ridiculous... It was like a... It was insane. It was a party for okay, HBO. Okay, so look, look. HBO... You know who have who are so invested in their own persona. They're they're invested in their stature as yeah. a hip place. Sure, more than anything that yeah. matters more than quality. Oh, yeah. Absolutely yeah. more than quality Absolutely. is being hip. Yeah. to them. Right, and 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 yet they pursue quality too. I'm not saying they don't. It happens. I'm just saying. <laughs> It, that happens, <laughs> yeah. but they are way more invested in being cutting edge, hip, or considered that. Yeah, I don't think they are. Right. Um, so they decide to do a f- comedy festival. Be- there's a comedy festival already in Montreal, a big world class, worldwide comedy festival. I think a great one. Great for stand up, certainly. And that runs for the right reasons. They absolutely want to showcase. Top stand-ups, top people, cutting-edge people to an audience of human beings who are curious. And it's a big event, and they actually actually have a a, a week of just French comedy. There's two the week. weeks yeah. of it. One week is all French. Yeah, which we didn't go to. I, I, no. I, we should bring that up, too, but, but go a, ahead. It's an amazing thing. Yes, it is. It's and a, the it's people a, that attend those shows are people from- All over the, the world. All over the world, and but they're human beings. Yes, they're excited human beings. And in the back beings. of the room- yeah. are the people from showbiz the suits the, the, suits, yeah. the lawyer the agents <laughs> yeah, and stuff yeah. so they're they're just in the back of the room right. the rest of the room is filled with real comedy fans and interesting pe- people who are interested in seeing something interesting having a good time yes so HBO goes we don't want to go to Montreal <laughs> so let's have our own HBO comedy festival <laughs> yeah. in Aspen yeah 
And really, where most of no, us have homes. Yeah, where most of us rich motherfuckers <laughs> yeah, have homes. Exactly. And they're not. They're they're nobody cool lives in Aspen. Not anymore. The people in Aspen are Hunter incredibly yeah. rich. Hunter's dead, so that was oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah. That's it. Incredibly wealthy yeah. people. Yeah. Go, live in Aspen. Right. It is a, it is one of the shishiest cities in this country. Yeah. It's a I quaint, mean, it, quaint it's, little town where you can buy gross. a... Yeah, it, it's, it's gross. Right. It's a quaint little town where you can buy a Picasso on Main Street. Yeah. yeah. It, it is sickening it to is walk around that it, it little small town. Yes. It's gross. Yeah. Everyone in Aspen, you're gross. Okay. Okay? Your, yeah. your wealth is gross. <laughs> and so there we are, and we're doing this comedy festival. With Broke a comics, for just a bunch, starting out. For a bunch of really wealthy surgeons, dentists lawyers leaders of industry leaders of industry who have no interest in a comedy festival or certainly anything cutting edge yeah we're we are just an annoyance it was so annoying to them that this <laughs> festival was held in their town so they don't even want to go to the shows they don't want it to be there yeah so but some of them tried it out for the first couple of years right. some of the townies yeah so in front in the front row of mr show the first show four silver-haired Wealthy dudes wearing identical red sweater vests. Uh, they're there for some event of some Yeah, <laughs> you know, they're ex-astronauts. Yeah, once, once a, a year they go to Aspen to count their money. And they're hating it. They're just hating it. <laughs> right in the front, right standing, sitting right, you know, four yeah. feet in front of me. Yeah. And, and that festival then went on and not much good came of it except that you know, you got a free trip to Aspen, which was fun. And didn't you sign with Brillstein after that, though? I mean, no, we they, were with Bernie. Oh, you were with, with Bernie already. That I was, was there years before. That was one of the uh, exciting events for me. That festival is I went into the men's room, and uh, when I walked in, Bernie was peeing. Yeah, but he peed with his pants all the way down. Oh yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, I know. Yeah, he, <laughs> he went for it. He didn't have. He didn't mess around. Did, now, were you with him all the way up till when he well, passed away? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was with Bernie from. Uh, actually, I was with Ray Rio at Bernie at Brillstein Gray, where yeah. I was a writer at Saturday Night Live, and I had some. You know, Ray and I. Ray's a great guy, but I wanted to work with someone else, and Bernie stepped in. He said, "Well, I'll I'll work with you." So, how long so, did you write it? As before we get to SNL, though, I got I got this thing stuck in my head about you, and it's a weird thing. Many years ago, I worked with it because you started in Chicago, right? Yeah. As a stand-up. I did do stand-up. Right. I kind of started by writing sketch comedy. All right. Well, there's this guy I work with, some road guy. It must have been, I mean, it's over 10 years ago. I was yeah. working with him in Indianapolis. Yeah. He was uh -huh. middling for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of a schwabby guy, very deadpan, didn't have much personality. But he said he started in Chicago, and he started talking about you. Mm -hmm. And he goes, yeah, I remember Bob when I was starting out. I remember him. You know, he was the kind of guy that would, uh, he'd say, I got to go home and do some writing. I mean, what the fuck? And then this guy says to me, he says, can you hang, hang out a minute? I want to go get my beer drinking shirt. Oh. And he went and got his beer drinking shirt. Why do you need a special shirt for drinking I, beer? Did my... you vomit? Or <laughs> I don't know. Did you spill beer on it? But it was just this moment where I, where I saw the difference between I'm your pretty... process <laughs> and somebody who said, I'm just going to do comedy. Yeah. Like, there, there's something about your career and the way you've handled it. Like, I'm a guy that that didn't do what you did, and I don't know that I would have thought to. I, I was just a stand-up. But there are people that, from the beginning, saw some sort of trajectory 
They knew that writing. Yeah. Did you don't see give it? me too much credit because I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. And when you talk like that about me, I think about my friends Ben Stiller and Judd Apatow. Who they're, no, they're those guys? They're your use that like you're you to me. Yes. And they're, if you're if you're saying somehow you look at me and go, "Wow, I wished I'd sort of seen <laughs> a, the road clearer." Yeah. No, listen, okay. Mark, okay. Mark. All right. Okay. okay I look Bob. at those guys and think that, and and I think it's legitimate. Now, now you're right. I had a vision for what I wanted to do, I'm not, but it I'm wasn't not very clear, and it wasn't. It doesn't marry up very, very closely with the industry of show business. I think that I wish that I had some of the insight that Ben and Judd had. Now, if you read about Judd or you know his past, his mother worked at a comedy club or ran one. I don't so know. he was from when he was a teenager or younger, he was meeting comics. Now, see, I was I went to Second City with a friend's family when I was about 13, 12 or 13. To see so the show. So that was the first time I ever saw people who worked in comedy. But my family, my mother is very religious. She goes, she's probably gone to theaters to see a movie three times in her life. Really? Yeah. She's afraid so, of movies? No, show business is not a priority of any kind. At all, entertainment. In our entertainment is not a priority of any kind in our was in our house or projected by my parents. You know, the kids loved it, but so the notion for me, it took me years of really doing it in a very uh, pointed way. Like I'm writing comedy today. I did that when I was in sixth grade. You started writing sketches. Yeah, uh, before. I went, oh, maybe I could make a living at this. How do you do that? Right. And then you think about Ben being on the set of TV shows when he was six and seven years old and sitting at the dinner table and hearing his parents go, oh, we got to develop a show and we should write a movie. Maybe we should, you know. And so he is thinking about how the business works and he's hearing how it works and he's understanding it. You think about Judd going to comedy clubs and like when he was nine, you know, or whatever. I don't know what age he did that. I'm I'm curious about, and and so I know what you're saying. Well, I I I think like I grew up. It took me till I was twenty something years old before I went. Oh, so movies are made (laughs) here at Paramount. Yeah, but who decides who makes the movie? And I mean, I still feel like I'm. Uh, sort of realizing, like, oh, I get it now. I get I gotta it. I got to talk to that you guy. Know what and I mean? he does, yeah. I right? mean, well, I grew up with, uh, you know, trying to make my manic depressive father laugh. So that's exact. So uh, what I have now is a small but committed following right. of very sensitive, sad people that will come to see me yeah, if their the life depends the, on it. The gig's not over. No, I know, and I'm not complaining. That's the odd thing about me, and I don't want to make it all about me, but I tend to make it a little about me. Yeah. Is that. Oh, uh, you can make it about you. I accept, you know, my place in the world. Where it is right now, but dude, the game's not up. All right. You know, in the last year- I feel like I'm going to cry a little. In the last year and a half- Yeah. Because of Breaking Bad, I got this job as an actor on Breaking Bad. Do you know that show? I do, and I haven't seen you in it yet. When were you in it? What do you Well, I was in the last three episodes of the second season. Oh, okay. I'm still in the first season. And I'm in 10 of this season's episodes. Right. Okay. So I got a call. Do you want to do this part? And I didn't know the show. I mean, I knew of it. I like the show. I'd never seen it. And I called a friend, Reed Harrison. Do you know Reed? No. Uh, and 
I go, I just called somebody. I just was going to call somebody. I called him and I said, do you know the show Breaking Bad? He goes, oh man, that is my favorite TV show right now. You've got to do that. So I said, oh, okay, I'll do it. So I, so he said, I'd do it. And, uh, and then I got the script and it was extensive. I mean, it was a character part and it's a drama. Right. It's, it also is very funny. Yeah. It really is dark, there, yes, dark, definitely. Funny. Yeah. Um, but, um, it, it, um, it had, the part was way more extensive than anything I've done. You know, usually even the stuff I write for myself, Yeah, you don't get monologues that are like a paragraph long. You no. know? Yeah. But in dramas, these are the kinds of characters that people write. Now, now there's also, it moves along and there's a lot of action and stuff, but you know, there's, there's a lot of character interplay in right. a show that's an yeah. hour long, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm reading this thing and I'm like, I've never... I've never had to do a monologue that was three quarters of a page long. Yeah. Certainly a part where maybe in one episode I have three of those. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I said yes to the part. I was excited to do it. But now I got to do it. Yeah. (laughs) So more than anything I've ever done as a performer, I had to focus. Now, I'm, I'm including Mr. Show in that. I mean, when I did Mr. Show... Believe me, I, I enjoyed doing it and I focused as a performer, but I was always, always, when I was acting, thinking about how this is being shot, where this goes in the show, the scene I'm writing right now, what David is doing, yeah. who's going to play this. <laughs> what David is doing. Uh, you know, <laughs> that could go either way. What, what the lighting guy is yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was a pain in the ass on that show and I was the one going like, that light's it, I'll move it. Give me the ladder. <laughs> so I was always doing yeah. uh, too many things. Yeah. So Breaking Bad made me an actor. Focus yeah. on what is this part? How do I do it? How can I do it well? And I think I did pretty good, and I'm proud of it. And it was fun. It was more fun than any of that other performing I've ever done. Well, do you think some of that has to do with the fact that when you know you're funny, I mean, that's not a fucking... Because I focused. But, but also... Because I stopped worrying you're about a hundred things. But you're also a funny guy. And when you got to do a funny part, I mean, you're going to find the funny. I imagine that doing something that's more dramatic and you have to commit to the character in a way that doesn't allow you an out to be funny, yeah. it's got to take a... It's got to be a little more challenging. Well, it was challenging. It was absolutely challenging. And 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 But I just think it's... It was just the first time in my life where I just did the acting and I invested in it. Yeah. And I found it really rewarding and great. I didn't bring my iPhone into the audition. <laughs> but I'm serious. I'm totally serious. Do right. you know what I mean? You're going to work as an actor. I'm not going to sit around and yeah. worry about my script that I'm writing while I'm trying to do this reading and trying to get this part. And I'm going to come in as an actor, think about the part, think about what I can do with it. I'm going to know it really well, and I'm going to blow it out. And when I was doing Breaking Bad, the other thing was I was doing scenes with Brian Cranston, who's won the Emmy for drama acting two he years He plays a, a cop? Row. You know, he plays a, a high school science teacher. Oh, no, he's who, the lead. Yeah, I love that guy. I was just watching it last night. And my... that guy brings- Oh, he's incredible. It. Yeah. So I I needed to focus. So So I'm just saying- that, you know, I've done a lot of acting in my life. You know, I've got a long resume on IMDb as far as an actor, which is crazy to me. 
But I've only just started focusing on trying to do that well. And I found it to be really rewarding if you focus. Yeah. But uh, I, I think that the fact that you have this intense ability to focus and that you're, I think you're very hard on yourself. Are you not? I think so. I'm proud of that. I mean, I don't understand people who aren't. Mark, I've never understood. To me, and I told my little daughter this the other night. Yeah. And it's so, you guys, this is like <laughs> so personal. <laughs> But we were talking about some comedy scene that I'd showed her or she, she'd seen. And, yeah. And I said, so you see, honey, that's what comedy is. Comedy is about honesty. And because that, to me, is a very core truth to me. Oh, yeah. And, you know, my you talk about your dad, yeah. your manic depressive dad. Well, my father was an alcoholic, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So, and and my mother, you know... We learned that when I was probably nine or 10, maybe 11 or so. And then we started to go to AA and all that stuff. Um, the Alateen but, but and stuff honestly, like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. But honestly, for me, comedy has always been a way to be honest about shit. Yeah. Like to just fucking say what you're thinking. And and I think that applies. I was watching, who's that very heavy set comic, uh, uh. Southern comic- I watched, caught a minute of his act. Uh, yeah. you know. oh, oh, Ralphie May? Yeah, Ralphie. Yeah. And, you know, I don't... Look, he's a nice guy, and he's making a huge living, and, and he's very happy. I met him, and he's a nice guy. Yeah. But, I mean, on some level, I don't necessarily... I don't agree with a lot of sort of what he's saying intellectually. No, I understand. But, but on some level, he's being honest. Yes. He's expressing things... I, again, I would say I don't agree, and I don't think it's necessarily important to express those things. But he, but for him it is, and for his audience it is, and he's just saying some things that those people go, yes, thank you for saying that. They may not feel like it's a life truth that they need to but it makes carry them feel a banner, it's a but it, it's a release. Yes. So that's what being hard on yourself is, is being honest. And I don't understand. I've never understood especially among the alternative comics. We're going to talk about this after you make your call. Why, yeah, go ahead. why people have to be uh, so supportive of each other and so kind. I thought you were going to say glib and detached. They should be glib and detached, and they should be hard <laughs> on each other and themselves. And, you know, most of us are, but some yeah, of right. us aren't. Yeah. You no, know, I, I'm, I, I'm sorry, but I, uh, I've got some friends who've done some really <laughs> shitty specials. <laughs> And I don't say it to them, but I wish I... Why Why shouldn't we be saying... We're hard on everyone in the world. I don't understand. We rake everyone over the coals. Right. All our family and friends, society, yeah. hipsters, everyone. Yeah. We rake them over the coals. Why give ourselves so a break? So why is it suddenly when we're... Why we're so kind to ourselves? I'm I mean, I, I, I will admit yeah. that I've made some huge turds in like my what? life. Like what? Dude. Dude, come on. Don't say it like that. It's obvious. Well, I'm trying to figure... Some of the feature films I've made are despised by people. And they are major major failings of the talent involved. Now, I'm sorry. I I don't want to insult all the people who worked on them and worked so honestly and so hard. And and also the fans. The craziest, worst thing you ever did has some diehard fans. Yeah, most of it. So my feature (laughs) films have also made people extremely angry. I mean, The Onion said everyone should be ashamed of themselves who is associated with Let's Go to Prison. Now, I don't agree. I don't agree that everyone should be ashamed of themselves. Right, okay. I don't. Yeah, were you? 
Uh, I'm slightly ashamed. But well, how did, I'm also how did that not. happen? How did that happen? Well, it was an honest effort, and I think we did a good job on a lot of levels. But I, you have to be able to separate out going, look, the actors were spot on. You know, the... Uh, the comedy moments were. Com- some of the comedy moments were great. The, the filmmaking uh, in that movie, I did a great job. I had a tone. I had a style. I knew what I wanted, and I delivered on it, and it's fun. It's like a B movie. I said, let's make it like a black exploitation film. Let's have fun with the camera. Let's make it gritty. Dax Shepard is amazing. Will Arnett is amazing. Shy McBride is amazing. They're all playing in the same place right. tonally. They're all in the same area, and and it, and it has an edge to it. And, and, you know, I just didn't do as much work on it as I should have. But did the before. studio did the studio step in and start messing with it? No, I mean, no, you, no, no. Because no. Louis tried a exploitation film, too, and they took it no, away from no, him. They, it wasn't they a pretty thing. They were supportive of it. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I don't like about that is the PR campaign was, I think, just completely wrongheaded. Okay. But no one wanted to listen to me at that point, and I was thankful that Universal wanted to release it. And they said to me, look, when I said my arguments... Uh, that there was a better campaign to be had and just showing Dax and Will and and letting... Because I think they were really funny and and very likable characters. And um, they said, look, we're going to do some crazy stuff with this marketing because this is a low-budget movie. And uh, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It's... You know, they were like, it might not work. So they had nothing to lose, but you... They were kind of like, we're going to do something crazy. Right. And it may not work. Right. But... That's why we're doing this low-budget movie, is we're going to try something nuts. So but I wanna, think that was a mistake. Because I want to talk about- But look, some, I've made yeah. some things that were unsatisfying, and I can admit it, and I can criticize them with anybody, as hard as anybody, or harder. Um, the most satisfying thing I've done overall is Mr. Show. I mean, we- But there are scenes in Mr. Show that are horrible. A lot of people who listen to this show and a lot of what has become this comedy nerd audience really sees Mr. Show as the starting place of modern comedy. Like I talk about it on this show that I know there's a lot of people listening whose whose sense of comedy history starts at Mr. Show and beyond beyond Mm. that, there's nothing. I mean, the impact that thing had was, was incredible. And Well, I think we got to, we got to combine a lot of influences there in a way that people a lot of people had wanted to for a long time and and so that was neat and uh and we also really got creative freedom to in every way thanks to hbo and thanks to troy miller who was incredibly good with uh and that's at dakota with filming yes with filming and style and doing things for a budget because we didn't have a lot of money right but still everything was open to us we could make a film that was black and white and looked old, and we could do a video that looked like a cheap, cheesy uh, 70s video, and we could do all these, you know, presentation styles. So was the agenda just, you know, no holds barred, let's push it in every way possible, comedically, filmically, you know, let's make I don't know, stuff. you know. I mean, you seem pretty we disciplined. We could do anything. Right. But, but I mean, that wasn't the impetus for it. The impetus no, but I mean, was, let's do a sketch show. But the creativity That's, involved, I mean, it was you and Dave and, and who were the writers? Hussein, uh, who uh, else was there? Scott Arkerman, B.J. Porter, um, Jay Johnston, uh, Paul Tompkins. Uh, um, so these are adventurous comedic thinkers, though. I mean, you're not- Yeah, you, pretty there was, crazy there was no, no one was going to do I anything I mean, it was really- hackneyed. David and I really drove it. 
Now, know. when you and Dave started, you met you guys really gelled on the Ben Stiller show. Is that where you? Yeah, uh, no, we 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 only sort of said hello on the Ben Stiller show. We never wrote together. And in fact, David tells me that I insulted him or his his writing there. You did? How yeah, so? he wrote a piece that I was like, "Why are you writing that?" I said to him. <laughs> Because he, because Judd and Ben asked him to write it, and yeah. he was thankful to have a job. So there was tension. That's why. Was there tension? Well, it's, it's, it's like one of the, the first couple times I met David, I was rude to him. Yeah. Well, you're like that with everybody, I think, aren't you? I don't know. I don't perceive it that way. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't perceive. I, here's it that how way. I characterize you when I when I mention you. I said, I've known Bob for years, and he always talks to me like he's my father. <laughs> like, because I'll see you, and I haven't seen you in months, and you'll be like, "So what? What's happening with you now? What? What is? What's going on? What, what <laughs> are you? Work, yeah, you okay, what are you working Mark? on?" <laughs> at this point in the conversation, Bob had to take a conference call. He said he had to take it, and I said, "Of course." And uh, I waited because I didn't want to cut the interview short. And he went out onto my deck and paced around, talking to an agent or a manager or, or both on a conference call. There are a lot of big show business names bandied about. Uh, I don't want to drop any of those names or, or betray uh, Bob's trust and out of respect for him and whatever he's trying to achieve. But uh, he did come back in uh, after about 15 or 20 minutes, and there was a slightly different tone. So let's go now to 20 minutes later. Well, I mean, whatever it may mean, Bob, you're on my deck, and, I, and my first concern was, is he going to fall through the deck? I need a new deck. Oh, yeah. And We're... I heard names being thrown around. Big big show business names being thrown around on the deck, Bob. Yeah, I, I wrote a little comedy with my friend Eric Hoffman, who's a really funny writer, and I wrote for Mr. Show also. And it's really good. It's the best movie I've ever written, by far. And uh, it's got a female lead. And it's kind of been sitting around for a couple months, maybe yeah. a year now. Yeah. Uh, as one or two people, we sort of feel them out. And uh, we finally found an actress who I think is it. She's it. She's the part. So um, you want to say names or no? You know, it doesn't matter. I, I can't say her name. I get yet it because she she wants it, but you know anything could fall apart. And I just want to get back to her today and say you're it. Right. And uh, and then so now that we know who she is, yeah. Now we can cast everybody around her. Right. Because uh, her part is very big. But it's a the movie is. Um, you know, I love Woody Allen's movies, and uh, I it's kind of it is an homage a bit to Annie Hall, but with a girl as the main character trying to find somebody, and uh, you know, it's different. It's not. It's not a. It's just I use the tone of Annie Hall and the kind of structure in a way, in a very general way of that movie to write this movie. And uh, it's called Annie Jenkins is the name of this movie. Well, that's exciting, um, man. Yeah, it's really exciting. But you know what? Look, so here's what happens. We have our lead girl. Yeah. She's great. She's uh -huh. perfect. Yeah. Then we cast a bunch of people around her who are great in their roles. And then we try to get the money. Right. That may never happen. And then maybe we get the money and hopefully it doesn't fall through. And then we need to have a time when we can shoot it because I told you I just I'm going to do a part in a sitcom now if that goes I don't get to make my movie. 
But you, you know do, what I mean? If that I, becomes a series, how do you make your movie? These are what it? they call luxury problems in, in the racket. But I, I, I but, but that's they, a, but this is interesting though because you you know more than uh, most people I've had on this show you know, have such uh, a, a thorough experience with the process of writing of, of stand up and of getting things made. And I, I think just the way you explain that, I don't think a lot of people who listen to my show would really realize that these obstacles to having great things and personal things and, and independent movies made is still a fucking huge process. Oh my God! I, I mean, mean there, it's almost ludicrous to imagine it happening. Like you write this great script because there are people that don't have the work ethic that you do, and I think there are people that dream of being a screenwriter or maybe midway through their first screenplay and they're trying to get through that. But as a professional writer, you have a, a work ethic and you have yeah. discipline and you can knock things out. Yeah. And I just think that it's interesting that you could write a thing that you're obviously very, there's a personal piece of work to yeah. you, you're proud of it, yeah. and there's a very good chance that it may never see the light of day. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really good chance. Now, here's the thing. I've written probably 15 screenplays and they've all been pretty horrible. I mean, they just did not measure up. One other one I think is good. It's an adaptation of a book, The Fuck Up, by a uh, guy I've become friends with, Arthur Nersesian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a good screenplay. Uh, but so you have to understand that for me, just writing a screenplay that I like and I think is good, if that's all it was, you know, you know screenwriters always say it doesn't matter until it gets made. It just does, it's like you didn't do anything. I don't. I don't agree with that philosophy. I, I feel. Look, I, obviously, I want to make it, but my goal was to write a movie that I was not ashamed of. <laughs> that was my goal. Right. So when I did that, I was like, "Thank you," and I still feel that way, and I'll always feel that way. And if nothing happens with it, I'll always. Some part of my spirit is is. Uh, healed a little bit because you're no- proud of the piece of work you did and because i feel like okay if you can do it once maybe you can do it twice but i just so- think it's fascinating because it, it just even from where i'm sitting is that so many people don't understand even people that are sophisticated and intelligent the the nature and the process of show business like there's a lot of people out there hanging their dreams yeah. on this idea that they're going to finish a screenplay and somehow or another that's the magic ticket yeah well you know one of the reasons is because that fairy tale of how it works which is you go off and to a corner and you write and then you write something and it's kind of personal and poetic and kind of interesting and then people can't believe how great it is in Hollywood and then they make it and it's unbelievable. That fairy tale is sold to you by Hollywood, which knows it's not true. Why do they sell it then? Because it's great to hear. (laughs) You you want to hear the truth? (laughs) Do you want to hear the the truth about how... It's a bunch of people, and there's no real process, and great stuff falls through the cracks and all gets the ruined, time. and the stuff that, you know, all those great movies that cost $7,000, and then you find out it really cost $45,000, or it cost $250,000. You know what million. I mean? Yeah. You, you know, Robert Rodriguez, what's the great movie? I love it. I love- uh, Desperado, or De- what's it called? The first uh, one- uh, uh, the, you know. the one with the guitar? Yeah. Oh, Mar- El Mariachi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. El Mariachi. $17,000, right. right? Now, I don't really know how much it costs, but right. I've been told that's not true. You know, and, and that maybe that's what it costs to shoot it, but that doesn't include the money, they all the music and the reshoot and the post-production well, and all the other stuff. So 
that fairy tale of look at these guys made this movie for seven thousand dollars and it's great or this person went and wrote a script and they've never written a script before i mean that that a version of that happens usually once a year right or someone gets discovered. Because like, Hollywood has get, to do it to make a, it a real thing. Sadibe or whatever, yeah, the girl yeah, yeah. from Precious. You know, those things happen. Or some version of them happens. Yeah. But th- that's a pretty magical story, it's right? It's an anomaly, yeah. Right. But it is a ridiculous anomaly. Yeah. I mean, it is insane. It is one out of 10 million, right? <laughs> yeah. But that's the story everyone's... No one's telling the story of... Number nine million person who struggled for thirty years <laughs> got one and nobody made. cared, and then suddenly something good got made. That's not a Hollywood ending. They, we don't even tell the story to ourselves. You you see how how many times yeah. in Variety I don't made the deal yeah. for a seven figure yeah. sum. Right. Okay, seven figure sum. But she, but what listen, does that mean? Right. Okay, you don't want to tell me yeah. what it means. You don't want to say because you're, it's too personal. This is a business magazine. Yeah. No, you don't want to say because it's not really a six-figure sum or whatever. Right. It's you being clever about telling this PR story that everyone that's this fairy tale of uh, that we continually want to believe in. Well, I think the fascinating thing about just hearing your passion about it is is the fact is that you look at that business magazine because you're in the business and you're trying to fund movies and bankroll movies and make movies happen. And I think that as a testament to your talent, but also your uh, your persistence, that what it really takes to get something done is to keep pushing to get it done and to keep finding the people that can help you get it done and to find people that believe in your talent and connect you with the people that will help you get it done. I mean, a lot of people have this idea, and I wrote a joke years ago that it took me years to learn that Hollywood isn't my parents, that that you're going to come out here and and everyone's going to be like, thank God he's here. (laughs) Now we can start work. But the real work, uh, unfortunately, on some level, is 75% of what you're going through right now. Creativity in and of itself, is not the bulk of the work. Yeah, 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 it's true. And yet you have to grant that that's the important work. You know, and and you can only do a certain amount of the politicking and manipulation, or at least I can. I think everybody can. Everybody has a certain level where they go, okay, that's enough of that. I'm going to write comedy, and if you buy it, you buy it. And if you don't buy it, you don't buy it. And I'm not going to just try to maneuver myself into positions of success because that was never the joy of it. That's not why I did this. I didn't do this because I thought, how great would it be if I could get meetings and sell ideas? (laughs) I did it because I like to write comedy. And and so on some level, you're right. A big part of the job that people don't want to take into account is, is all the politicking and all the layers of effort that go into getting anything done but having said that if if and it doesn't happen but if you could go off in a corner and write a brilliant screenplay well it might find its way because you know on some level you read the script that i wrote i guarantee and the business you wouldn't say it's a piece of shit you go wow that was pretty good or you might say i really like that right because and, the, it, and, and it, is it a works hung, it is a hungry business i mean they they do need they things. need more stuff which yeah. is a great thing yeah. huh, mark yeah at your lowest yeah. at your lowest point yeah when you're like am i ever gonna work again they still need something you kind of go yeah well mm. next week they're gonna need to do new stuff it's interesting talking to you because like this happens to me a lot when i do this show and i've interviewed a lot of guys i've known you a long time and we've never had an extensive conversation 
And there were times, like if, going back to Mr. Show, when I just realized how you know intense you are and how focused you are. That even like the the mixture between you and Dave, because I lived with Dave, I yeah. know Cross. That you know th- that the way that comedy dynamic worked and why that was so great is because you are that guy who's you know like we're gonna work the fuck out of this thing yeah. and make it funny and even if you know even if I have to push it through people's brains it's gonna yeah. deliver and Dave is sort of like eh, fuck you know I I mean I know he's a hard worker but I it- know David's but I think I, I you're right. You're right, obviously, and David would agree. But it's a classic sort of. And like, David would proudly agree. T- a team, but I would argue this. Yeah. I would argue this. That David is a more responsible guy than he lets on to be. Of course, or he wouldn't be where he is. Really, yeah. He I mean, claims that he is uh, Mr. Anarchy, and oh, life no, is know. just a big party. I know. And who yeah. gives a shit? We're just here to have fun, and I don't care if you like my stuff or don't like my stuff. But. When push comes to shove and when he is put in position of responsibility without anybody to back him up or yeah. to throw the ball to, he steps up. Yeah, Usually. I, there's yeah. a funny story that that sort of sheds a little light on that. Like, and it's happened twice because I started with Dave and when I when we were both doing stand-up, I mean, he really couldn't give his stand-up away because it was too abstract. It was too odd for uh-huh. people to take in, regular people. And I've had him on interview shows before, and I've said this to him, not meaning to be rude, where because I remember telling him to come off stage that you know you've had enough. That's enough. Yeah. Uh, where I said to Dave, I said, uh, "God, who would have known back then that that you would have been the guy?" And he looks at me. He's like, "Why do you always say that?" I knew. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know that feeling too. You know, I've had people say to me, "The thing I've always gotten that I hated." is man you're great you're weird oh yeah <laughs> i go really am i weird you're not weird am i that weird no no i don't think i'm that weird. do you do you have, did you ever have a point where you resented stand-ups honestly because you know early on you no know. look i never thought of myself as a stand-up and i still okay don't. right i can do a version of stand-up comedy I think what happened with me is, you know the stand-up boom happened when we were young guys yes and so i was Purely interested in sketch comedy. Okay. But I saw that I could write jokes and I could make a living, not a great living. Right. With the stand-up boom. You know, in Chicago, they went from two clubs to eight in like a year and a half. Right. So like now they need eight middles every yeah. night. <laughs> yeah. Every night. So you're able to Thursday, do it. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So I can make 50 bucks, 60 bucks uh Right, but 120 you, bucks but in, in a the, night. In the big picture, you don't see stand-up as limited I never did. Or, or, or limited oh, or, or, or no, not. You know what? Here's my feeling about stand-up that's always been a challenge for me. And I knew this pretty quickly. Most stand-ups that work, they sort of master their own voice. Yeah. They know their rhythms. They know their point of view. And, and they master it. And some of them take it to the point of caricature, you know. Sure. Emo Phillips or whatever, who's a friend of mine and a great guy and you become a really a, funny guy. You become a caricature of yourself. He's a caricature of he's a cartoon of himself yes. on stage. Right. Even Woody Allen. That's a product. Yeah, no, yeah. it's it's that's your persona. He okay. He's, yeah. he, they develop a very sure. sort of focused persona. I can't do that. Right. I can't do it. And I've tried. And I've tried You've actually tried? Well, intentionally and unintentionally. You know By writing I, or by behavior? Like, like I mean, for instance, let's to... say I take my 
what I have material. Yeah. And I go, I'm going to do all jokes for the next couple of weeks. Just real joke jokes. Yeah. I'm not going to ramble and right. tell stories or right. try to. And I'll do that and it can go over very well. Yeah. And I just want to shoot myself after three of those shows. <laughs> and then I stop, I, I stop being able to do it at all. I just can't even you hate do it. it. Well, I don't know if it's hated. I just might, something's broken in me. I can't do it. I remember when I saw Dennis well, you, Miller at Saturday Night Live and he would warm up the show. Yeah. When I was a writer there, he yeah. would do 15 minutes, 10 minutes before the show. Yeah. And it was the same 10 minutes every week. You felt yourself leave yourself. You felt like I'm just this machine. I might as well go sit down and in the I crowd. Just, that's a talent, you know, yeah. Mark. Yeah, I, I know. That's I, not I, easy I'm, to do. I'm now more you like don't you. do that. I know. <laughs> I know, but you do. But you do what you do. That's right. But see, I still do jokes too. Yeah. I still, if I just do stories, I go. I'm just, I want to tell some jokes. Man. Yeah, yeah. This is I too just much. want to tell too some, taxing. Yeah. This is too out <laughs> yeah. on a limb. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is too. Yeah. I, I, I got these ten funny jokes to tell them all. They're I'm, really funny. I'm trying to do that right now. I'm actually writing jokes just for relief. Let's do something I've never done before, and then we'll try to, to bring it around, right. which is like I just sent out on Twitter that I'm talking to you. So, you know, I've got people asking questions. What was, uh, what's your favorite memory from Mr. Show? That's from Dreaming uh, Tree. Uh, my favorite memory from Mr. Even Show. Even if it's not on air, even if it's just a moment. Um, in a way, it was just the camaraderie of shooting, you know, at night in the middle of nowhere, some crazy scene. But throwing the covers back on david when he's in the little oh, yeah. puppet body yeah yeah <laughs> and the audience reaction was like a wave i was there was, that night it was powerful i think i was there that night that like knocked you on your ass with the rock and roll thing yes yeah that, <laughs> so that's a memory uh saying goodbye at the end of the series mm. why didn't it last longer or why didn't you know it's it's a bit of a complex uh story i'll try to make it v very short uh as we were going into our fourth season um, they primed our spot, which was Friday at midnight, which yeah. was when our show ran. And they ran the best of special there the two weeks before we were to premiere. And then a week before we were to premiere, they called us and said, we're moving you guys to Monday at midnight. We want to get midnight going on every night of the week. And we're going to make you the show that happens Monday at midnight on HBO. Now they've already primed the spot Friday at midnight. I mean they promoted it. Right. And that's when we'd been for 3 years in a row. And somebody said that it, it that Chris Rock bumped us. And I don't really understand how he bumped us cuz his show would have ended an hour before ours. I don't understand that criticism. Right. Yeah. So I don't blame Chris. I maybe I should, but I don't understand why. Yeah. But it was a it, in a weird in a big way it was a vote of no confidence from HBO. There were HBO executives who loved us, Chris Albrecht, Carolyn Strauss, who you would think could have us on whenever. But this was before The Sopranos and before Sex and the City. Yeah. So they hadn't had massive success right. yet. Right. So Chris, I think they still had to do what the company wanted to do. Right. They couldn't tell everybody what right. happened. Right. That's my guess. I mean, I'm, I don't know this stuff. I'm conjecturing. All right. And I always had the sense that the New York executives didn't like the show, didn't understand it. So they weren't really fans of it. They were like, what is this thing? You keep making it. Why? Did you have a sense how how much of an impact it would have? Because it certainly, it, it seems to be the turning point for a lot of people in you know, did, alternative comedy absolutely. and everything else. I, I, if you'd asked me then, I, I mean, I don't think I could have said it out loud because it would have been... Um, right. 
arrogant. Arrogant. But yeah. I, I, if you said, do you think you're making something really great and people are going to watch it and go, I, I would have said, yeah, I do. I, I, I remember making those shows thinking the great thing about the show is maybe nobody's going to see it, but over time people are going to see it. They're going to see how great this is. That's awesome. You know, so mm-hmm. yeah, I had a sense. I just said that this is awesome. Did you hear me say that like a teenager? That's all right. Here's one. Uh, Jonas Polsky said, describe your experience discovering Tim and Eric. I got a, a, a uh, an envelope, a large manila envelope, and opened it up, and it had the DVDs in it, and and they were from Tim and Eric. And I sometimes get stuff like yeah. that. Usually just throw it out. I mean, really, I just throw it right out because- Unless you have a, uh, I know this is you all you need to have a release, yeah, because you could get sued by somebody. Oh, really? Who says you stole my idea? I mean, I'm always writing so many different things. How many people could think I stole it? I don't know. You know, I mean, I'm writing jokes and movies yeah. and helping oh, I see other people. What you're saying. Right, right, right. You know, there's when I was at Saturday Night Live, we got sued about an idea. Uh, and and Conan O'Brien and I and Robert Smigel had written this scene that we'd gotten sued over. And, of course, we hadn't stolen it from anybody, but right. this guy sued. He said, you stole my idea. And he had written some comedy sketch that, in a very broad way, was the similar thing. But I've had specific ways. You know, Chuck Klosterman, when I first met him, told me, you know, I wrote "Blowing Up America Blows Up the Moon. That was a Mr. Show sketch. Yeah. And he wrote some comedy essay about America blowing up the moon as like, like it was the same idea. Yeah. Now that's a pretty crazy idea. Yeah. A pretty curious idea. But hey, somebody else thought of it too. It happens. <laughs> I mean, it happens. Yeah. We're all drawn from the same reality pool. I mean, it, yeah. the craziest idea you have, somebody may have thought of. So Tim and Eric sent you so this So Tim package. and Eric sent me this thing. Usually I wouldn't look at it, but they also sent with it a bill. <laughs> for like 50 bucks for what an itemized bill for sending me that dvd <laughs> an itemized very official looking totally dry uh-huh. bill which was just awesome did you pay it i called him up and i said this is so funny and then i watched it and and i thought that they'd really developed i said you guys have a sensibility that all these pieces they're all different but they all share a sensibility that's hard to do they're like I, I liken them to like Frank Zappa or Ween. That I agree. I, I mean, I think they're on the funnier side of Frank Zappa. No, I mean not in funny, uh, but just in terms of like Tim and Eric. As you, you could not say like oh, that uh, that there's any specific thing other than that vision, the 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 sort of aesthetic of them. You know. You know what I'm saying. I think they make fun of. This is my big grand theory about Tim and Eric. Yeah, I think their subject matter is media and the delivery of ideas in the history of it too in a way that's what they're making fun of that's what they're lampooning and ridiculing they're not ridiculing things they make up funny things funny sitcoms funny item you know products to sell but they're playing with the context yeah they're totally playing with the context yeah and people are hip enough inadvertently from watching too much tv to totally feel it and know it and get the comedy of yeah because it. It, it sparks something they, they may not be able to identify it because when you watch it just in format and structure and in the way they shoot things it sort of has like it reminds you of something from your childhood or you you know there you know it's almost like seeing wood paneling or it's almost like seeing the way they kind of spoof like local tv or older tv or it, yeah it, it's, it's really strange because it, it, it's it, almost like you can't put your finger on their subject that, matter well that's a sign that's of, what it is it's and, a sign of genius in a way and yet it and yet it's content it, it there's a it's 
it's not just absurdity for no reason. It's no. funny. Yeah. You laugh. Yeah. You know? And it's twisted. And uh, it's, it's great. They're geniuses. They're, yeah, they're I feel that. They're talents, and they're hard workers. They're great. Yeah. So now, are you going to do, like, uh, you got any live things? I heard there was a tour. Are you going to do a tour with Dave? Uh, David and I, last time we were together, which is about two and a half months ago, talked about doing a tour in about two years, three years. So that's how I look forward to. My kids are older. Yeah, put that in your calendar. Yeah, so <laughs> save up because... And how old are your kids? Uh, they're nine and 11. Wow. Yeah, they're growing up. It's great. You like it? It's nice, yeah. It's nice that they're getting older because uh, um, the other option is they pass away <laughs> at a young age. <laughs> um <laughs> Do you did you find it? No, it's great that they grow up because life gets easier. I think now I've heard teenagers are hell, but you but know, did I you know. find that having them sort of uh, humbled you a little bit or made you a better person or a better? Uh, or, I know? don't know. You know, you have to think about yourself a lot. Yeah, that's true. But I think you have to do that as you grow up. I think everybody sort of has to. If you don't, if you're not lucky enough to die young and just get to be a flaming asshole, yeah. Uh, you know, you life, will be life, humbled. You will be humbled. You will be humbled. Everybody gets humbled. Everybody. Or if you don't, then you're really broken. Yeah. You know? That, oh, that's The people good. who just carry on with their insanity, even though the world has told them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We get it. <laughs> and, uh, you know. Yeah, that just happened people, to me about a year ago. The people who carry on with their insanity. Yeah. That they're really cracked, and I, you know, what I sensed about you though, and, and because of what you're saying specifically, is I think I was that insane at one time, and I think that you know that you don't indulge that at all. Like if you're if those people are around you, you will sort of like okay, a lot of self preservation, right? And but just also, a, I I am pretty crazy too. I got a lot to, I got a lot of, you know. But you're not destructive. Do you feel like you are? I mean, you're not. You don't I seem self-destructive. You're right. Yeah. I mean, it seems that. Dude, I don't know. I got my own battles to fight. You know, they're not. Uh, what's the? They biggest, may not be. Uh, what's the biggest alcohol one? Or, uh, pills. <laughs> but just the the level of self criticism, rage. <laughs> rage. Yeah, you got the rage. Yeah. I, yeah, you know. frustration, rage. I think you know, in a weird way, one of the things I've been facing up to. And I've always known this is true. So many things about yourself that you someday have to confront are yeah. things that you always knew. Oh, yeah, they're sitting right someday there. Someday I'm going to have to deal with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the day comes. Yeah, and you're like, and you're you, like ah, the, damn the, it. The line, <laughs> I thought I wouldn't have to. The line is drawn by you or someone else. Yeah. That shit's got to stop. You know, you, you're, you're very complimentary to me, and I appreciate it, Mark. But um, I... I I think I, I'm very, I've invested a lot of myself in my career and, and a lot of my self-image in my career. Now, I've done a lot of things and things that aren't that, you know, hip or whatever. But the things that I've really focused on and tried to do, even some of the ones that failed, I, I feel proud of them. I feel proud of the work I put into them and and uh, the, the fact that I brought um, a certain uh, personal... Uh, vision to them yeah okay but that that uh the amount that i i've um invested of my own self-image into my own self-image of my own the pride that i take in that and the amount that that i let that define me is a little cockeyed because it just doesn't really matter what you do i mean it doesn't matter what you do 
It's just what you do. Right. And, I mean, even if you're Picasso. Right. You, you still should gotta, fucking be a human being. You got to sit at home with Bob at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can only get a certain amount of appreciation from the public that, or from the industry or your peers. And that's wonderful, but it doesn't sort of really satisfy anybody. It's yeah. not really. Right. You know. Especially if you're still at home and you're angry and you're freaking out about shit. Yeah. You can't feel that I mean, it just hole. doesn't really matter. Yeah. These things are very, they're great and you should pursue them and you should want people's respect and you should want to respect your own work, but that isn't who you are. And you hit Who that. you are yeah. is not what you do and, and it's not the accolades you get and it's not the pride you take in your work. It is not your work. Yeah, so you've, you, you've had that, that dark moment where you felt that emptiness. <laughs> and that. It's just the hardest part is like, realizing like wow just so much of me is wrapped up in who i am and you're getting a little better with that i don't know but i have to deal with it <laughs> i know that i have to think about it and i have to what do you feel when you when you when you're actually able to detach from all of that and and and, and... well emptiness <laughs> <laughs> utter emptiness yeah right oh yeah i definitely know what that is yeah complete loneliness and emptiness and then in those moments do you look at your kids and say thank god and do you feel gratitude and that kind of stuff or uh okay yeah you, you're gonna you got some work to do i wish that <laughs> you know people always say i do think having a family and having kids is a re really really deeply rewarding thing but if you're asking if it uh i don't i don't think it, it's the soul uh Hole filler. I, it is not. You absolutely are on your own, man. Yeah. And I don't care if you have kids and you're a wonderful dad and mom, that's great and you yeah. should be happy, but yeah. that does not- Still, You right. still have your own journey yeah. and you have to fill that hole yourself and figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. Yep. Do you, you know? feel, do you feel that, are you able to track that, that stuff down to your to your childhood in any way? Or do you think along those lines? <laughs> well, you always have to look back at that, right? Well, do you, do you feel like because I know guys that uh, that come from similar things? Like my father was manic depressive. You know, I know another friend whose father was not there. Your father, you, you know, one of the an, things an about it is we we're luck we're lucky to have the luxury of getting to think about those things. Yeah, because you know, I think about other generations and other parts of the world. I mean, people just can't get food. They just plow along. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. you may feel like. Life's been rough, but this is a pretty nice house in a pretty nice city. Yeah, you're living in. Well, what are you doing to you know, to, to make yourself you know deal with this stuff? If you don't mind me asking. I actually go to therapy now. Yeah, again, and that helps. I did years ago. Yeah, you got yeah. a good one. Oh yeah, I That's think good. so. That's yeah. good. And uh, I think you know, I think one of the big things I've done in the last year is just allow myself to just change. Yeah, just really just stop getting on the same treadmill every day. It just isn't getting you anywhere. And I think you're So whatever that is, yeah. yeah. you know, do some things that with yourself, with your day, that just are not what you've always done. Yeah. Because you know what? It's it's boring too. It's just stupid. Yeah, because people just watch you your spinning your wheels. Way. Yeah. And the you people know? that you love or the people that love you are just watching you spin the wheels. And, so yeah. to all you guys, all mm -hmm. you nerds out there, Whatever that thing is, just move on from it. <laughs> and I got to say to you, on. I'll tell you, Bob, uh, you know, y y you can stop being so hard on yourself. You've done great work oh. and you're a very talented man. And I appreciate Thank you coming you. by. Uh, thanks, buddy. All right.
That is our show. Thank you for joining us. This is Mark Marin. You have been listening to WTF. WTF Pod is where you can go. Look, you know, there's a lot of videos up there, too. There's there's fun stuff. I know I don't have a, a chat community or anything, but there's stuff to do there. You can link to justcoffee.coop. You can also uh, link to, to Audible. You can also link to what else can you link to? You can get on the email list. You can donate some money. You can do whatever you want over there for as long as you want to. It's open to you. Uh, please also visit punchlinemagazine.com for all the up-to-date comedy information and news. And by the way, I do read your emails. I can't respond to all of them. Let's be reasonable, my friends. You dig? I hope you dig. Are we dug? Are we good? Also, don't forget, Eddie Pepitone and myself will be at the Madcap Theaters in Tempe, Arizona, the 9th and 10th of April. You can go to madcaptheaters.com for information. All right, then. I'll talk to you next time.